Well, good morning. How's everyone doing? Oh, sleeping. I'm going to try everybody worship with us online. How are you all doing this morning? It is a pleasure seeing each and every one of you this morning. Let's see, every time I take my mask off, I feel like I can go, especially after worship. Man, Terrell, worship team, thank you so much. Those are some of my most favorite songs of worship. Our prayer for each of you here with us this morning, with those worshiping with us online, is that you would glorify Jesus in everything that you say and do, and that you would experience our Heavenly Father's love that He has for you. As we sang, He sent His Son to be abandoned on Calvary, to die on the cross for our sins, so that we could have eternal life. And it is vitally important that we not only worship what He's done, but that we worship Him. I was talking with Kim Walker before the worship service, just how COVID has really helped and challenged us to slow down and to be. And many times we just need to slow down and allow Holy Spirit to do His work. If you've closed your Bible, if you've closed your Bibles or if you've turned off your cell phone, I want to ask that you turn it back on. Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going through the book of 2 Timothy. It's a short little letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. And just to give a little bit of background, if you haven't been here with us, if you don't know much about the letter of 2 Timothy, it's Paul's last letter that he wrote before he was executed by the Emperor Nero. Paul had been released from prison in Acts chapter 28. And then there's not a whole lot that we know about Paul, but we do know that he traveled most likely to Spain to plant more churches. He then went back to Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey for us today. There he was arrested again for being a believer. I'm going to ask a question. Have you ever been arrested for being a Christian? Raise your hand. Think about that. I don't think anyone here has ever been arrested for being a Christian. Today on this planet, there are over 270 million Christians who face persecution just for being Christians right now on this planet. There are less than 40 countries on this planet that truly have freedom of religion. Think about it. Paul is put in prison again. He knows his days are few. And he writes Timothy, one of his dearly beloved disciples, a young man who he discipled and who they traveled with for decades planting churches. They were on the front lines of ministry through thick, through thin, through hard times, through good times. They experienced the hand of God, the work of God, both in their lives and their ministry powerfully. They also suffered greatly for their faith. And Paul writes Timothy to encourage him. And if you read in the first chapter of 2 Timothy, Paul has been abandoned by everyone but Luke. And he basically writes Timothy to encourage him, and he writes Timothy asking him to come to Rome to see him so that they can encourage one another. Last week, we we looked at the end of chapter 2, where Paul gave Timothy eight imperatives. An imperative is a direct command. Do, 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 don't do, don't do, don't do. Eight of them. And we looked at eight of them. And then right here in verse 1, look at what Paul says. He says this, Remind them, ooh, sorry. But know this, hard times will come in the last days. But know this. It seems like imperative, like a command. It's a wake-up call. Have you ever had cold water thrown on your face? 
Has anybody ever awoken you, startled you? Ooh, I just got someone to jump over there. Good. Has anyone ever startled you quickly? Know this. We've been looking at what is a true disciple. And we've looked at a couple of things. A disciple knows joy. A disciple knows the truth, which is what we looked at yesterday. Today, we're going to look at a disciple protects. What does that mean, a disciple protects? A disciple protects other disciples, watching over them, watching out for them. Many of us, many Christians think, well, that's the role of the pastor, right? On one hand, yes. But on the other hand, every single one of us, if we are lovers of Jesus, followers of Jesus, we are commanded to love and to encourage and support and equip one another. All of us on one hand are commanded to protect one another, pray over each other, encourage each other, exhort each other, call each other out when we see them walking in sin, walk in humility. That is the role of every disciple. A disciple protects. And I've got a great story. When I was younger, I was chubby. I also was grubby. I hated to take a bath and shower. Chubby and grubby rhyme with... Dougie. I was a goody two-shoes in school. And I've told you this in the past. Whenever the teacher left the classroom, guess who she would put in charge? Me. And that's a target for all the other boys in class to pick on and tease. I went to a summer camp with my older brother. My older brother today is one of my best friends, one of my confidants. I trust his word. I trust him for who he is. And we were incredible friends in high school. Great friends in high school, even though he was two years older. And we've been great friends ever since. But when I was in elementary school, one of the people that I really struggled loving was my older brother. Because every day he would pick on me, tease me, took me till I cried. And he would loved it. When we went to this summer camp, I was in sixth grade, he was in eighth grade. He had already gone through puberty. He was big and he was huge. Our whole school went, our whole middle school and junior high went. And there was a certain kid at this camp who picked on me and teased me and beat me up. And one day my older brother saw what that kid was doing to me. And he came up to me, he says, he'll never do it again, you just watch. And that night my brother grabbed some of his friends and they physically made it clear to this kid in my cabin that they were never to touch me again. Now, I don't condone that type of violence. I don't recommend that type of violence. But let me tell you, I was walking on cloud nine for the rest of that week at camp because I had an older brother who was going to protect me and keep any other kid from touching me. He watched out for me. He protected me. Disciples protect. Here in verse 1, we've already read it. Hard times, Paul says, hard times will come in the last days. The last days are when Jesus left and went back to heaven. And until he returns, those are the last days. It's been 2,000 years, mas o menos, of living in the last days. When you read scriptures and you see the day of Christ, that's the actual day Jesus returns. And we don't know when he's coming back. We have no idea if it could be today, it could be tomorrow. Jesus says only the Father knows the time and day when Jesus returns. But Jesus will come back. But until that time, we are in the last days. It's been 2,000 and something years. 
Whew, for us, it seems like forever, but in reality, it's just a one breath in light of eternity. It is quick. How does Paul describe people in the last days? Look at what he says and read this with me here. In verse 2, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Let's read it again. Verse 2, ready? For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers. Is Paul, does he have internet? Instagram? Facebook? Is he watching CNN or Fox News? Sounds like today, doesn't it? We continue. Verse 3, unloving, irreconcilable, oof, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's harsh. When it talks about hard times, and I don't think any of us here would doubt the fact that we have gone through hard times this year. We've experienced things unlike, I think, probably what any of us would have ever experienced. But I don't want us to become so myopic in our own lives. I'm going to read just a couple things for you from 1914 until 1945. World War I started in 1914 and lasted until 1918. A little bit of homework. How many people died in World War I? The Spanish flu started in 1918 and lasted for two years, killing upwards to 50 million people. 675,000 roughly died here in the United States. That's happening in the second half of World War I. The Roaring Twenties, great economic growth, and then you had six years of the Great Depression where over 25% of all money disappeared. Then you have World War II where millions of people died, over 6 million Jews. We don't talk about the over 20 million Eastern Europeans who died either, plus everyone else who died in the war. That's just 20 years. 1914 to 1945, let alone in this country, African-Americans who still are living in the shadow of Jim Crow laws without any civil rights. That's just our country experiencing World War I, Spanish flu, Great Depression, World War II. Let alone all the other genocides, famines, deaths, and regional wars that happen that we don't ever hear about because unfortunately as North Americans, usually we're so consumed with our own lives. Yesterday, I looked it up. From 2007 to 2014, 164,000 people died in the Mexican drug war. That's my beloved country. 
That's just Mexico with just the drug war. Hard times will come in every shape, form, and fashion. And when I look at what Paul wrote here, how he describes these people, and I made the joke, does Paul have internet? Is he looking online? Is he looking? And I'm like, wow, this describes our society right now. And yet, you know what, people? If you read the very next, word, very next verse, it doesn't just describe our society. It describes people and the church. Look at what Paul says here in verse 5. Holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power. So not only do the characteristics of verse 2 through 4 describe, quote-unquote, the world, it also describes those people who hold on to a form of godliness, yet they deny its power. And that could refer to people who are very churched, who go to church, who profess to be a Christian, and yet the characteristics of verse 2 through 4 are very evident in their lives. They proclaim to be believers. They know the Christian speak. They can speak Christianese. They might be in a small group. They might even sing in a choir. They might even help serve in the church. They hold on to a form of godliness, yet they deny its power because the kingdom of God is one of power. Say it, power. That's Holy Spirit power that touches and transforms lives, families, marriages, bodies, minds, hearts, and souls. Now, we live in very dark days, evil days. We are at war not only with our own sin nature, but we do have an enemy named Satan who hates us and wants to stomp us out. He'll do every means to do it, to destroy us. And he'll try to do it from outside, but also from within. And one of the greatest ways that we need to protect ourselves as disciples is from the attacks from within. The very wolves that come into our church body acting like sheep for a while, but they destroy us by the gossip, slander, criticism, just the vileness of life. And Paul is saying the end times are coming. They're here. We live in it. And they're very hard days, difficult days. And as disciples who make disciples, all of us are commanded to support, encourage, love, pray for one another. It's not the role of just one, but of all of us. A disciple protects. What does Paul tell Timothy here at the end of verse 5? Avoid these people. One of my favorite nicknames of Jesus is friend of sinners. Friend of sinners. Jesus was accused of being a friend of sinners because he went to their parties and he loved the sinner. And the sinners flocked to Jesus because they truly saw in him the love of the Father. How do we take the life of Jesus with the commandment of Paul here to avoid such sinners and yet love sinners? That's a hard, hard question to answer. That's homework for this week. How can we love, truly love? Jesus gives us the answer. Serve. Jesus came and he gave his life as a ransom. He served and he humbled himself and he served. 
but he was always watching, always praying for, always encouraging his disciples, even rebuking them, admonishing them to adhere to right, healthy, godly teaching, telling them to be careful and to live a life of prayer so they would, they would not fall into temptation. Paul continues, but before that, there's a verse I want us to look at. Matthew chapter 24, verse 10 through 12. These are Jesus' words about the end days, and these are very important. Matthew 24 will be on the screen, but if you want to look it up, you can. Matthew 24 is this huge, long chapter where Jesus describes the end of days, the end times. But he says this, many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Man, see that word many, many, many. And then here's the verse that really hits me hard every time I read it. Because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. Because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. A confession for me over the past six months, watching all that's happened and then watching online all of the riots and all the vitriol, all of the hate, and even struggling through COVID and all of the changes, I have seen in my own heart a coldness start to really shrivel my heart and I've become much more myopic on myself, my own life, my own circumstance, my own situation, my own rights. And I'm beginning to ask, is my love for Jesus and then for my neighbor growing cold because of the lawlessness that is multiplying? I've asked myself that question a lot. And my fear is that we, because we're being pressed, and about six weeks ago, Terrell taught us a new song about the wine press, about being pressed in hard, hard stuff. We can be pressed on every side and the temptation is to become so myopic on just me, myself, and I, what I want, what I need. And unfortunately, the description here in 2 Timothy, there are three loves that Paul is hitting Timothy on. The love of self, the love of money, and the love of pleasure. Narcissism, materialism, and hedonism. Are we as the church narcissists? what I want, what I feel, what I need. Are we lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God? Are we lovers of materialism more than realizing that what Joseph quoted earlier, godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul continues, and just for the sake of time, coming back here to 2 Timothy chapter 3, he then goes on to verse 6 through 9. And women, please don't throw any stones. I didn't write this. Verse 6, For among them are those who worm their way into households and deceive gullible women, overwhelmed by sins and led astray by a variety of passions. You can say gullible people. Something contextually was happening in the time of Timothy and Ephesus, where many of the women in the church were being deceived by false teachers and false prophets. But man, don't deceive yourself. Any of us can become gullible. In this situation, this time, these women were overwhelmed by sins, their own sin, maybe their own past. 
that they couldn't break free. They were so overwhelmed and heavy burdened that false prophets and teachers would come in and would teach a form of asceticism or of religiosity, hyper-religious activity to break free from that. You can't. Only Jesus can set us free from our sinful past. It's by his power, his grace, and his presence. But these false teachers would come in and begin to teach and deceive these women and men. And then Paul uses this example here in verse 7. Always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. There's a difference between knowing and knowledge. There's two Spanish words for the word to know, and I love it. Saber. S-A-B-E-R. Say it, saber. That means to know, like a fact, to know a direction. The second word is conocer. It means to know. Say it, conocer. That means to know a person, like a personal relationship, and I love that. I don't saber Jesus. I conocer Jesus. Big difference. Conocer is that deep, intimate, personal love relationship. It's awesome. We read and learn about the Bible. We study the Bible. We read this written word to have an encounter with the living word. And as we consume his scripture, we should consume Jesus. And Paul says here in verse, six, verse 8, sorry, just as Jonas and Jambres, sorry, that's Spanish pronouncement, pronunciation, resisted Moses. So these, these false prophets, these false teachers, they resist the truth. They are men who are corrupt in mind and worthless in regard to the faith. Oh, what do you do with worthless things? We toss them. These false prophets, they had a corrupt mind and a worthless faith. And Paul is telling Timothy, encouraging Timothy, be aware of these men. Be aware of these false teachers. Protect your flock. Protect your people from this false teaching. Watch over them. But then he says, but they will not make further progress, for their foolishness will be clear to all, as was the foolishness of Hannes and Hambres. Jesus said that we will be no, they will know that we are Christians by our what? Our love. As we love one another, as we support one another, as we encourage each other. It's vital that we know the truth. But as we know the truth, that truth, which is Holy Spirit truth, Holy Spirit in us produces his fruit. The fruit of the Spirit's produced in us. So as disciples who protect, what does that mean for us? Disciples who protect one another through the power and presence of Holy Spirit. What does that mean? First and foremost, we need to ask ourselves, these verses 2 through 4, do they describe you? Do they describe you? Do they describe those around you? And if, the, if it does, our first step is to repent and confess our sins, that we have been disobedient and proud and boastful and lovers of self and lovers of money, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, brutal, without self-control. Without the love of what is good, we're reckless and conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. We need to ask Holy Spirit to put His 
Lupa Mosetan, English, magnifying glass onto our hearts, our minds, and reveal to us our own hearts before we point the finger at our brothers and sisters for how they're doing wrong. The second thing we need to do as believers is we need to hold each other accountable. We've been pushing really hard the past couple of weeks the importance of being in groups. We need to be willing to humble ourselves and let other men and women, young or old, speak truth into our lives. Call us out when we walk in sin, when we walk in disobedience. We need to be humble enough where we truly allow them to say, hey, that's wrong. The person who keeps me most accountable is my wife. I resent it when she does it, but I love it when she does it. She will call me out. Thank you. I have another friend here who we meet regularly, and he'll call me out too. But it needs just to be one or two or more than three who will call us out when they see us walking in disobedience. And we need to be humble enough to respond in obedience. We also need to be careful, as Paul described through 6 through 9, about following whatever crazy teaching there might be. And there's tons of it on YouTube that needs to be filtered through God's written word. So here's my question for all of us, and I want everybody to please stand. I've got a couple questions for you I want to ask. First question is this, and I've kind of talked about it, but do you find yourself entrapped in one of these three descriptions of love of self, love of money, love of pleasure? Do you find yourself entrapped with those three things? If so, and worship team, I want to invite you to come on up and get ready. I want to encourage you, repent of that today. I'd be more than love, willing to pray with you. There are other ministers here who would love to pray with you. If you've come with a friend, turn and ask them, pray for me. I have strongholds in my life of pleasure, of money, of things. The second question is this. Who are you allowing to speak into your life and hold you accountable? If you're all by yourself, begin to ask God to give you someone and ask one of your brothers and sisters in the faith, can you keep me accountable? Can we meet every other week, every three weeks, once a month, and just be brutally honest with one another? Men with men, women with women. Third question is this, who are you called to watch over and protect as a spiritual mother or father? so that they can grow in their love and faith in Jesus. We're all called to be discipled, and we're all called to disciple. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this awesome day. Jesus, I thank you for every person here. And Lord, we ask now that you would move powerfully in our hearts. And Lord, with these three questions... Lord, just the fact that you've called us to be your disciples. We're called to protect one another, to encourage each other, to pray for one another, to watch over one another, to bless one another. May we truly be faithful in making disciples who make disciples. Have your way now, Holy Spirit, in and through us.
your name we pray. Amen.